Welcome to the Oregon College Football Post Game Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Well, so much for that prediction of Oregon State covering the plus 18 and a half. I don't know where I got that idea from, Neil Lomax, but uh, 55 to 15 is the final score as the Ducks take care of the Beavers in the 122nd edition of the Civil War. This is the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Judah Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer Neil Lomax live from the Fields Bar and Grill here in the Pearl District on 11th and Northrop. Come by, say hi if you're taking care of your Black Friday shopping. If you just wrapped up watching the Civil War wherever you may be, still a great crowd on hand here and even more uh, expected to file in as we get ready for the Apple Cup as well with number eight Wazoo and number 16 UW kicking off in about one hour's time. Two-hour postgame show. You can sound off by tweeting at 1029 the game or giving us a call, 503-417-7575. Matthew Zimmer spinning it back in our downtown Portland studios. Neil and I breaking down this slugfest, Neil. What a barn burner, 55-15, to 15, and once you know it, the over-under finishes at 70 going into the game. And that last Oregon State go-ahead or uh, just give me touchdown there at the end puts it right at an even 70. 55-15, to 15, the Ducks smashed the Beavers today. Yeah, I had them by 20, so I was way off on that one, huh? <laughs> join way the, off. Join the club, <laughs> man. Come on. Uh, There's two things that had at favor for Oregon State, I thought. The weather would probably take away Justin Herbert a little more. And – Jamar Jefferson. Yeah. And, and those two things did not happen. Because, number one, if you would have told me before this game started that Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell will have no impact whatsoever on this outcome of this game, I'd say, you're foolish. Are you kidding me? You know, and that you would hold Jamar Jefferson not just under 100 yards but under 70 yards. I mean, his final total was uh, 21 carries, 64 yards for really that all, I mean, all-American freshman for a true freshman. He's had a spectacular year. But Oregon overwhelmed him. And I talked about this a little earlier. I, I just didn't buy this the, the, the defense. I, I talked about that. The rushing defense that Oregon State showed all year long, allowing 34, 50 points average. And Oregon exploited that by two great backs. And we'll talk about that. But I was absolutely shocked. He would have told me no Dylan Mitchell and no Justin Herbert would have no impact in this game. And Oregon State would still win by 40. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, and now in the last two years, Oregon has outscored yeah, the Beavs 124 <laughs> to 25 since their 2016 defeat in the Civil War. So go ahead, chalk it up, make it 10 out of 11 Civil Wars have gone the way of the Oregon Ducks. And just big picture, you think about that and you think about all the coaching turnover that Oregon has had in the last few years and, you know, the, the differences that that creates in recruiting and in developing from within and, and the new assistant coaches. The one constant throughout all that, 2016 aside, is that Oregon has been better than Oregon State because the Beavers have had their own issues in terms of head coaches. What was disappointing from an Oregon State perspective in this game is that it was 21-3 at halftime, and that's when Justin Herbert doesn't come back into the game. When the score was 21-3, to Braxton Burmeister enters, and there's enough of a sample size on Braxton Burmeister to know exactly what he brings to the table as a quarterback and a signal caller and I'll go ahead and spoil it for you, it's not passing the football. They know it's going to be running. They know it's going to be running between the tackles. They know it's going to be a lot of QB reads as well, and that's exactly what Oregon did, Neil. And even though it was predictable, they still executed and pounded Oregon State into submission. And, and no one loved this more than Mario Cristobal and, and Marcus Arroyo. And 
you know, we'll get, we'll get James uh, Crepia's view on the rushing attack. And a note I put down here, too, is this is, this is his statement. This is the Mario Cristobal statement he made back in August. We're going to be a physical. We're going we're to uh, – the physicality of our offensive line and our tight ends and our blocking and our running backs is going to be bar none. We're, we're going to be, if, if not one of the top two or three in the Pac-12 in the nation. He, he talked about that all during the, the season. And no more noted than that, Judah, when they went for it on fourth and one. Right. From their own – this is early second quarter, fourth and one on their own 38 in a 7 nothing game. And go for it, which I would say 7 out of 9 or 7 out of 10, maybe even 8 out of 10 coaches would punt the dang thing. Exactly. Punt the damn thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he goes for it. They go downhill with CJ, which has been, again, the footprint and statement of Mario Cristobal. So I give him a lot of credit. I, I give his philosophy a lot of credit because I was one and myself and others complain that you're not using Justin Herbert enough. You're not – and you couldn't use him because of this undisclosed injury. He got racked pretty hard, though, in a couple of sacks. He did. He did. And, yeah. but, so I'm going to give a lot of kudos to Mario Cristobal. This is his philosophy. This is his footprint. And this team bought into it big time the second half. They absolutely steamrolled them using that two-back system. Well, see, and that's what I, I was impressed with. Oregon on, on the offensive line because, you know, it wasn't too sophisticated a rushing attack in terms of the play calling, and, and it hasn't been all season long. It's been between the tackles, zone read, zone left, whatever. But Travis Dye, who I, I pointed out before the game is I thought I, he was going to have a big game. He finished with 32 carries for a buck 97 yep. and two touchdowns to lead Oregon in rushing. But really the headliner, C.J. Verdell, Neal, five total touchdowns for the freshman number 34, 187 yards on the ground, four touches there. He also added a receiving score. It's the most touchdowns for a player in Oregon history since November of 2012 against USC. I believe one Kenyon Barner took that home with six total touchdowns down in the Coliseum. But how about that performance, both from Dye but also from Verdell, reaching the end zone five times today. Yeah, and, and that's confidence from up front. Uh, all, the, all the big boys. You know, Panay Sewell's been out for, what, three or four games now, that big left tackle. At least, and yeah. And Throckmorton, Hanson, the boys, they came together and decided we're playing. We're playing. And I tell you what, Jacob Breland had some really nice blocks. He came, if you watch 27, got a couple He came in and blocked really well. And, man, you actually called it, Judy. You did. You said Travis Dye was going to get over 170 yards. <laughs> and CJ, maybe 100. I'm like, well, maybe. But, maybe. You, you know, that's – interesting prediction there but I'm gonna get the big boys up front all those guys and that, that starts with Throckmorton and the leadership that he has across the board I think he's played three different positions guard center and tackle uh, so what he's meant to this team Hanson Warmack, all of them up the guys up front won this football game mentally you know what does that do for Oregon when they lose Justin Herbert at halftime it's only 21 to 3 even though they've controlled the game up to that point Knowing that Braxton Burmeister is about to come in and not knowing exactly what he's going to bring to the table, there was a moment in that third quarter where it felt like the the rhythm of the game was starting to sway to Oregon State. And then you had that ridiculous triple reverse pass <laughs> attempt that uh, was ended up being one of Oregon State's four turnovers. Boom, there goes your momentum. Yeah, I, I kind of talked about the turnovers on our pregame show. You I thought, thought there'd be a pick six, which there was. Uh, Oregon State had all the worst luck, too. Every tip ball went against them. I mean, Troy Dye, that, that, that tip ball on the goal line uh, from the, the Tim Tebow play, 
<laughs> from Jake Luton, who did did not go well. No. And then that was early on. That went Oregon's way. The other tip ball that, that uh, um, Graham picked off, one of his two interceptions, not to pick six, uh, was another tip ball. The tip ball the Ducks have, actually Breland makes the catch. But you're right. I put, an, I put a what that, what was that note? It's 28-9, nine minutes left in the third. Still in the third quarter, 28-9. Oregon State's driving. I mean, Jake's actually throwing the ball pretty well. And they do this double reverse junior high, what the heck, Philly special beaver buckle. What, <laughs> what is that? What is that? It and looked I, terrible. I, I t- no, but it looked great in practice, though. I'm sure. Okay. It had to. Well, please, see, and it was right after a, a pass lo- interference on Graham. So you're talking about it's not a sudden change in terms of a turnover, no. but it's a sudden, you know, motivate or, you know, momentum booster. When you get the PI, you go down the field, Jonathan Smith's like, all right, here's where I unload this one out of my quiver. It's the trick play right after the PI. It could not have gone worse. And also my, my comment, my little question, so are you guys really that bad you have to go to that at that point of the game? The answer is so yes. So, okay, so the coach is <laughs> sitting around going, you know, we're not very good. We're not very good. We cannot keep doing what we're doing. We had to get a pass interference. We have, to, we have to use a lot of big chunk plays. We have no faith, no trust in our offense or our passing game or our court. So we're going to pull out this little Chip Kelly 19 years ago. He used to do this New Hampshire double reverse. What? Oh. It looked bad from the get-go. You could tell. Like I mean, even I don't know if Oregon knew it was coming <laughs> or what, but you could the it, execution. It really hurts your rushing yards, by the way, too. A little it bit. really right? hurts. Minus 25 in that one play. Speaking of which, I mean, Jamar Jefferson was, for the most part, contained in this game. He got off to a decent start, but 21 carries yeah. for 64 yards. That is barely over three yards a carry. Oregon's rush defense, I was impressed with them last week against Eno Benjamin for most of that game. Equally, if not more impressed with what they did against Jamar Jefferson today. It's Jordan Scott, you know, the two-gapper. Uh, we talked about a little bit pregame about Gus Cumberlander getting in there. Cumberlander. Uh, he, man, he got some play in time. You know, no Jalen Jelks. The, the linebackers just played great, great football led by Die. He made a lot of tackles. We'll get the tackles update here. But defensive line, offensive line, the big boys in, up front on both sides of the ball dominated this game. And, then again, that's Mario Cristobal. That's what he was talking about, the, the physicality of this team. And everybody's not really buying it because you want the flashy ducks of the past. You want to see him throwing the nice uniforms. Wow, Justin Herbert this. And I'll just throw this at, right now. Will this be the last time we'll, we'll ever see Justin Herbert play? Yeah, it might be because. In, in college. In college. In I college, hope he goes right. pro. I mean, this could be his last game. Why would you want to risk if he does have an injury and you're playing in what? three weeks in the Holiday Bowl or the Sun Bowl or the Cheetos Bowl, whatever bowl you're going to go, are you really want to risk that? And I'd love to get an eight, one of our agent friends on one of these days and talk about what their pronostication is for a Justin Herbert because you see in the past, Judah, a lot of these guys just don't, won't play in the All-Star games, won't play in their bowl game. Well, look at Royce Freeman last year in the Vegas Bowl. Voluntarily sat it out, and it fundamentally eight. changed the personality of Oregon's team that day. But for him, it was an upside, personally. The, Bron- the Broncos take him. Right. He's healthy. He's having a great rookie year. He is. He is. And you got to k- keep that in mind. I mean, you know, who, we were talking to, uh, you know, someone the other day about, I think it was Evanson Bernard, actually, that decided he had an injury that kept him out of a Civil War game, I think in 06, but he came back to play in the bowl game. He rushed himself back to play in the bowl game because he wanted to be there for his brothers. He jeopardized himself, re-injured himself in that bowl game despite having a big day. It hurt his draft stock. He ends up, you know, uh, being an undrafted free agent that year where he probably could have been a fifth rounder if fully healthy. Yeah. Or something. So, I mean, it's a very valid concern by a lot of these guys. And you wonder if that's going to apply to Justin Herbert. I mean, 
you remember putting yourself back in those shoes when you were entering the end of your senior year in the fall of 1980 and the early spring of 1981. At what point, I mean, it's Thanksgiving. Is this a point where you have to be having those serious conversations with your friends, with your family, with your agents? All right, I think it's time for me to go. Yeah, and he's had those discussions, whether uh, we were privy to that or not as a public, because he says, I haven't spent two minutes on talking about it. Right. They've been talking about it. And his brother's coming up from Sheldon. Yep. And, uh, but, again, injury-wise, health-wise, that, that's a personal decision for him. And, I, I, again, <laughs> I'm sitting there just going, no Justin Herbert and no Dylan Mitchell. You're, you're, you're 80% of your offense, really, all year long, those two studs and stars, you take them away – and you're still telling me that Oregon's going to win by 40, 40 points. Man, you're crazy. Exactly. So, man. Yeah. What's the most surprising thing about this game? I, I just think, how again, how well Oregon's offensive line played and the defense line. I'm going to give James again. We'll get him on. He made a comment about red zone defense. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Oregon ranks nationally high. And it, it was so evident in this game that the two or three times Oregon State got down there, either they had a turnover they missed the field goal. Right. They got stopped again. So Poor. at no point did, did Oregon allow them to score, and that was that red zone defense. So biggest surprise was Oregon, Oregon's offensive line absolutely dominating the way they just dominated. And, man, you're giving credit to them because credit is well-deserved. And then that red zone defense. For me, it's Oregon's rush defense. If there was one recipe for Oregon State to stay competitive in this game, it was to run the football and to run it early. That first drive, Jamar Jefferson had an eight-yard rush. He had a seven-yard rush. He moved the sticks on a couple. They had a fourth down, fourth and four, fourth and three in plus territory. Could not convert it. Jake Luton, you know, you could speak to this more than I can, Neil. It did not seem like he could drive the football in on some five- to eight-yard routes they were going up against man coverage the press man we've been talking about for Oregon's opponents all season long Oregon was playing that way against the Beaver receivers and OSU save for a couple of Timmy Hernandez touchdowns they couldn't find a way to beat it in this game yeah and they, they mixed up the coverages it just wasn't press uh, with one free uh, they show that pre-snap look and they jump out to cover three in some of the zones but I just see inconsistent Jake's a little inconsistent uh, he's, he's injury prone Guy's only really played half his college games. I don't know if he's going to sign and, and do, go to the NCAA, try to get that sixth year right. or not. But the inconsistency, he'll make one or two throws. You're just going, wow, that's, that's an NFL-type throw. No, really, he's throwing from really hash mark to numbers on a five, 10, 5-yard five out, which is a 40-yard throw. A couple of those I'm putting out, ah, that's big time. Then two or three of them just weren't coming out. Now, the rains came and go, the balls could have been wet and all that, but uh, they're just inconsistent. That was Oregon State's offense all the way, inconsistent. Got down there a little bit, but again, you're right. Oregon's run defense and Oregon's red zone defense was really impressive. All right, so for Oregon State, they finished the year 2-10. and 10. What is the number one thing Jonathan Smith's going to be working on this offseason? Recruiting. <laughs> Recruiting. Getting and, bodies. And, uh, yeah, it, it's getting your guys. And I loved, to ha I loved having Sean and Derek Anderson on talking about the loyalty. So you got to get those kind of guys. You're not going out and getting the quote three or four or five stars. But even that, to me – a lot of that stuff, all those ratings, to me, overrated. I mean, where are all these four- and five-star guys in Oregon who were there three or four years ago? A lot of guys just don't make it. So in high school, you're one thing. In high school, a recruiting process. But I know Jonathan Smith. He wants to get his guys, the Northwest guys, the best he can get, and put his footprint on this thing. It's a lot of hard work because I don't know. But you look at that, the crowd. I mean, that it was tough, no, it was just, come on, man. Don't even support Civil War game at Corvallis. looked like it was playing against, you know, Southern Utah in week two. He's got a lot of work to do, doesn't he? 
Well, that, well, that's that job. I mean, Mike Riley did it. Mike Riley did it. And Dennis Erickson has done it. And I think John Smith's one of the guys that could do it as well. I got to start on the defensive line from a recruiting standpoint. They are just, they, they were getting torn up by Oregon's offensive line. An old line that was shifted around. They didn't even have Stephen Jones in this game either. And they had their way. Even when they were so predictable in yeah. the second half, they had their way. That has to be the most satisfying feeling as a football player when you know that the opponent knows what you're going to run and you can still execute it against them anyway. Yeah, when you have seven, eight guys in the box and you, it's like a third and one situation on first and ten the whole time and you're bringing Brennan Schooler in, a little motion, make sure he gets a little chip block too. So you got nine guys blocking against that pistol look and you're still running it down again downhill. Mario Cristobal kept talking, we're going to downhill, we're going to be physical, and they were. And you can talk about the recruiting all you want, but you got to start with the quarterback. It, it, in college, it's quarterback and running back. I think they got a good one in Jamar Jefferson as a running back. But quarterback-wise, they got to figure out who their guy is, and that might be a JC guy, or that's the hardest part, is really getting a quality quarterback, because that's what Sean Man- Mannion was, and that's what Derek Anderson was, and you build around that. Exactly. And those two guys were pro-style. Now, we'll see. They brought in that transfer from Nebraska and Tristan Jebbia, who's a three-star, maybe borderline four-star. I know you're obviously in love with the the star system, Neil, but at least he's got that kind of, uh, you know, he's got a certain amount of of, um, recognition with him and a certain amount of star power. We'll see if he can live up to it because if he can't, then you got to – exactly, you got to start finding that next quarterback in a hurry. All right, we're just getting underway. This is the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. What is your one-word summary of the Civil War? 503-417-7575. You can also tweet at 1029thegame and comment on our Facebook page as well. Oregon, 55. Oregon State, 15. The second half domination by the Dodgers, really 60 minutes long. Matthew Zimmer has got game day traffic. We'll be right back. We'll go live to Reezer, talk to James Crappy, the Oregonian, and take your reaction as well. It's the Oregon College Football Postgame Show live from the Fields Bar and Grill here in the Pearl, presented by Cooney BMW. 55-15, to 15, and never a doubt from start to finish, the Oregon Ducks take home the 122nd Civil War, having outscored the Oregon State Beavers 124 to 25 the last two years combined since that 2016 upset in Reezer Stadium. Judah Newby and Neil Lomax, we are broadcasting live here in northwest Portland on a beautiful Black Friday early evening here at the uh, Fields Bar and Grill. It's all presented by our friends over at Cooney BMW. Had a wonderful time on the pregame show. Had an excellent time eating food, drinking some adult beverages, watching the ball game, and now here we are on the postgame show. If you're in the area, go ahead and come on, swing on by. We'll take you up to 6.30, and at 5.30, you know, we'll be watching UW and Wazoo in one of the biggest Apple Cups of uh, their recorded history in that rivalry. Neil talked about a little bit of everything in that opening segment, but there's only so much to discuss when it was utter domination. But moving forward for Oregon from the quarterback position, you've got to imagine what this means for Justin Herbert having left after one half with the undisclosed injury. What does this mean for his bowl game status moving forward, depending on what bowl the Ducks get? We should be getting some clarity probably on his status, whether or not he wants to play in that bowl game. Do you feel one way or the other if, say, he wants to go into the NFL draft? If he does, one could argue he shouldn't play in this bowl game. Yeah, and that's, that's been the trend in the NFL and with college players last four or five years because the money – is just so outrageous and out there. I mean, that's the $50 million question right now for the Herbert family. 
I mean, you have a chance to be a number one draft pick in the top 30 picks in the NFL, maybe if not number one, number two, or three quarterbacks picked overall. Uh, you're, you're talking about a lot of money, and your future could be now. And we saw a lot of guys do it in the past. Christian McCaffrey comes to mind. He stayed out of a bowl game for Stanford. He made sure he got healthy for the combine. And that's just the money's so big. Right. That's what's happening. The money is so big, and it, it is. It's your future. And if you have the opportunity to go now, I can't blame him. I mean, personally, it's not a selfish thing or not being loyal. I mean, the kid's right there. He's from down the street. This whole family bleeds green and yellow. Come on. The whole Herbert family, Sheldon High Schools. and th So don't don't even start with that to talk about his. he'll be disloyal. He's not a true duck. Man, he's given it his all. And you just, again, I'm in that situation, which I kind of was, but it was a different cli climate back then, money I would do it because if you're told by NFL teams, your agent, your family, you're going to be a top 15, 18 picks in the NFL, how can you really increase that value for next year? What will that really do? Two or three more picks if you stay healthy. Look at what happened to Bryce Love this year. Here's a guy that was yep. a Heisman runner-up a season ago. Peak NFL value after his junior season. Says, I'm coming back. Let's run it back. Let's do it again. Sick. He's in the middle of his own conference in rushing yards. He was not able to stay healthy the whole year. Tell me what NFL team wants to invest a draft pick, anything higher than a fifth rounder in that guy. Yeah, I, I, you know. And my point, and you're right, that's a great example of Bryce Love. There's a lot of those across the board with nagging injuries. And sad about the UCF quarterback just got hurt. And he was Milton. Yeah, no. he was talked about being top four, top five quarterbacks and Heisman Trophy, third or fourth behind Garden Minshew and all that. You don't know if they're going to be playing on Sundays. That's the thing. You just don't know if they're Sunday quality guys. I mean, nobody, believe me, nobody goes to college and go, you know, I can't wait to be a number one draft pick my freshman year. No one's saying that. No, you have a goal and a dream to play pro ball. Every kid has that. I would love to play pro ball kind of thing. That was my goal, my dream as well. But I'm one out of 14 million that got the chance to do that. And here's Justin Herbert has that chance. Why deny that? Right. How validating or how uh, gratifying was it to come back for your senior year, given how it ended up panning out? You owned 90 college records by the time you left. Yeah, because back in those days, too, you know, if you weren't playing for USC or playing for Notre Dame, or no one knew about it. I'm playing for Portland State. I needed all the reps and all the, the games I can get. So my junior year was a big, big year for us and Mouse and myself and scoring. But I needed that extra year to make sure the national media – got a hold of him. Who's this kid out here in Portland State? So I needed that extra year. Justin Herbert doesn't need that. In fact, is there anything that he can prove? I mean, some people would say, hey, he needs to prove himself more by winning some more close games. How about winning on the road a little bit more? Is that necessary uh, no, for draft that, stock? That, no, because no, the combine is going to take care of that. He's going to go to the combine and put himself up against peers. And these scouts, <laughs> they think they know. They, they know what they're doing. They're judging on what they – that's last year's class, let alone. Folks, all five of these rookies are playing now, have started in an NFL game. All five of them from last year. Lamar Jackson's getting his second start Jackson, now. Jackson, unreal. Okay. He's the fifth one now. So you're not just picking these quarterbacks to sit behind guys for three or four years. You know, Nick Alioni and I had this discussion. Nowadays, it's this guy's got to play. And you're going to go on a bad team. That's unfortunate. That's the bad news is you're probably going to go on a pretty bad team and maybe sit one year. But if we're not doing really well, you're playing. And Justin Herbert will show that at the Combine. Is he ready enough to do that? That His body of work, they've already seen that enough on film. It's what does he do against other guys at the Combine 
and will a team be willing to take him? And I think there's three or four teams out there, no question, would take him. You know what? It's almost like some of the unknowns with him as a college quarterback are good unknowns at the NFL level. How often do you see quarterbacks accomplish a ton in college, and it doesn't translate to the NFL? I mean, we had Sean Mannion on earlier, yes. Pac-12 all-time leading passer until Luke Falk. And then what happened, Mannion is a very good backup quarterback in the NFL. Luke Falk can't find his way as to a starting quarterback and won't anytime soon. Um, you know, we, the jury is still out on a lot of the accomplished quarterbacks at the collegiate level, what they can accomplish at the NFL level. Like, it's a whole different sport, isn't it? Yeah. And you're going to see uh, two good ones tonight go at it in different ways. Yeah. Uh, Washington, Washington State. But I'm looking forward to that game in different ways because, you're again, you're a product of your environment, your product or your philosophy. And Garden Menchu's on a team, Mike Leach's air raid, no punter. You know, we're throwing the ball over the yard. Our running game is a swing pass or a check down. And then you had the Chris Peterson pro, pro style. And Jake Browning's been in that pro style system. But they're very good quarterbacks. But numbers-wise, Garden Menchu's blowing up the whole nation right. number-wise. And the NFL scouts understand that. That's not what's going to happen when you play in the NFL. Your body of work is physical. Number one, physical. Sean Mannion, Derek Anderson, the guys we've had, they're all 6'5", 220, 230. Here's even Jake Luton got pros physical numbers. Can he throw the way Justin Herbert? I got. I don't think so. Right. So that's what they're all looking at. Again, we, enough, enough on Justin Herbert. Back to Oregon in the running game and Mario Cristobal. Get, get, that's, that's where I was like, man, this is what he wanted. This is what he's been criticized for a lot. You can't do this. You can't do this. You're underutilizing Justin Herbert. Well, we saw it today, man. You can. Two backs, 180 yards plus. Wow. Well, and Oregon State came into the game, the second worst defense in terms of total yards allowed yep. per game. Them and UConn, it certainly lived up it that way. It showed up. I really thought Oregon State would be, play, be able to play better than their average. They were not able to at all in this football game. Now, they honestly, they kept Oregon under 500 yards, but about <laughs> 300 of them were rushing yards. So, it certainly didn't go the Beavers' way. 55-15 to 15 the final. Sound off at 503-417-7575. You can also tweet at 1029 the game and uh, comment on our Facebook page as well. Just put the uh, game reaction up there. Matthew Zimmer's got a scoreboard update for you coming up. We'll go live to Research Stadium and talk to James Crepia, the Oregonian, after this one as well. Ducks smashing 55-15. to 15. More postgame coming up on 1029-750 the game. Oh, there we go. Taking pictures with the fans here at the, the fields. Bar and grill out in the pearl. It's all presented by Cootie BMW, Neil Lomax, Judah Newby. Still going on our uh, postgame show all the way up to 630 on the Oregon College Football postgame show. We'll hand it off to Bobby Bean and Matthew Zimmer at that point. Uh, I asked you on Facebook, what's your one-word summary of the 122nd Civil War? And if you also uh, want to get your thoughts on the air, you can at 503-417-7575. You can chime in on the Facebook page. You can also tweet at 1029thegame. Wendy chimes in on Facebook with her one-word summary of the Civil War. She says, depressing, <laughs> with an exclamation point. Must be a Beaver fan. Uh, Nick says, it's a hyphenated word, baseball school. So officially, that's one word. For one, yeah. What? Hyphenated. Baseball hyphenated school. That's his one-word summary of the Civil War, which makes sense. Look, if you're an Oregon State fan, you can't deny that. Yeah. Got a national championship in baseball. You got two wins in football. <laughs> that's pretty much speaks for itself. Uh, Jeffrey says pound for his one-word summary. 
And then he adds Beaver yep. as his uh, second. So pounce of Beaver. Well, good my, job. My one word would be crystal balled. Crystal yeah, balled. Beaver's nice. definitely got crystal balled. Yeah. And that's been his footprint. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to have him not. He won't be bragging or I told you so, but he'll have his professional speech lined up uh, post game. I'm curious what he kind of says, but he'll he'll go right up. He'll give five credits right away, starting from left tackle to right tackle. That's where he'll start and give those guys from Jake Hansen and Throckmorton. He'll give all of them those guys the love, and that's what C.J. Verdell will do. And that's what that's what Die will do. You give the big boys up front the love, and you kept getting fed and fed and fed, and well over 300 yards rushing. Again, you go back to Oregon, and all we talk about. You told me <laughs> Justin Herbert wouldn't barely throw over 100 yards, and no Dylan Mitchell, and you still put 55. And, again, is that a commentary on how bad the Beavers are? And I think there is a mix there. They're bad. And I've been talking about all you. They're just bad defensively. The numbers don't lie. When James and I were talking about defensively, I don't know how you can stop the Ducks. I thought they'd be passing a lot more and doing their thing offensively. Here's a chance for Dylan Mitchell to break the record. He had 36 yards. He had one catch. One catch, but understand, right. you just pulled it up. There was a little disciplinary reason. You yeah, might it was. Want, you want to talk about that. And I got this uh, from James Creppy as well, saying that Dylan Mitchell was late to a meeting, and that is why he missed the first quarter. And the second half, absence of Mitchell was more about personnel packages. So late to a meeting this week, Mario yeah. Cristobal says, <laughs> you're missing the first quarter. And that's understandable. Yeah, the personnel package was there's no Justin Herbert. There's no so, Justin Herbert. So you want to put number 13 in the block? You've already lost your best player. Why lose your second best player in the second half of a game? And, and I don't know. I know, too, you didn't have to run. I mean, you didn't have to throw. My, you didn't have to throw in the second half. And But that's just going to – I think the Duck fans now, besides what what bowl gamer we're going to no. go to, is Justin is, – is Braxton Burmeister our guy? I mean, is he uh, the guy? And I I if he that. is the guy – then some of those third downs, if I'm the head coach, I'm letting the guy throw it a little bit. I'm letting him throw it. I mean, it's third and five. Third, yeah, of course. Yeah. It was only 34 to 34 9, 34 34 what 34 3, 34 9. You're still in a game, and you have third and five situation. You want to give some live action to your future. If this is your future, let the kid throw it. Civil War game. Well, they tried to let him throw it on that. Uh, no, 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 second down. That second, second two, point. two point conversion. What was that, oh, man? Oh my God, that was a bad. I mean, that I was mean, a duck for a duck. It was a duck for a duck. He had Schooler coming across the end zone. Oh, he did. And he knew he, he was open. I don't know how he got it only halfway please, there. Please, please tell me that ball was really wet. Come I, on, I, please. Somehow, something got on that ball, but we got the snap looked really good. Snap looked great. Snap looked great. And you know what? Something to be said for that. Boy, the low moment of this game for Oregon State had to have been the double reverse pass that ends up going for a turnover. They were still in the game at that point. Momentum was turning toward Oregon State. It was a three-score game. Justin Herbert was out. They were driving into plus territory. They just got the pass interference, I believe, on Graham. And then they pull out the trick play. It could not have gone more wrong. Well, uh, yeah, because Justin Hollins was wide open. He was the one. <laughs> he was the one. I, I don't know if Hernandez, if Hernandez or Hodgkins was going to. I think it was Hernandez. Hernandez. Yeah. He's the one who had to flip it back to Jake Luton. Right. And he flipped it. I swear, number eleven, Justin Hollins was going to pick it off right from them. He did. He just, he just shut. It reminded me so much of Pop Warner, of some dads <laughs> trying to figure out a way. How can we figure this out? Oh, I saw it on TV or I saw it on YouTube. Uh, well little different deal when it's working in junior high and when it's working in practice because here's what folks here's what happens in practice when you do it oh don't touch the quarterback let him throw it let him throw it 
So let's let's make sure this is, so it sure look good on Thursday. For Oregon offensively now, you you got a couple of freshman running backs that just put up historic numbers in Verdell and Die. How good do you have to feel about the direction of the offense with those two young backs? Well, then then you throw in that Tony Brooks James was supposed to be the guy this year, and unfortunately his one attempt at a kickoff return ended in an injury. And my point on that was we were talking about TBJ. All of a sudden these two guys emerge, and Jalen Red too, both from a receiver and as an athletic standpoint. They didn't really have to use him much today at all. I think he's a playmaker. They got some guy. They have three or four guys. And they had an injury. I think Lakui uh, Cyrus right. was also hurt. Labibi, Labibi, Habibi uh, Lakiel, and so he didn't play. Nailed it. And you kind of got because he's the guy that's short short yardage guy. Yes. He's coming in there. He's got what six seven touchdowns and only like fifteen attempts. Great ratio. Uh, so you're right. The future is really good. Offensive line wise, you're gonna lose some, some key players there. You get them healthy. They're gonna keep doing what they're doing. But the big question I have for the Oregon Duck fans going forward, and the pressure is on number eleven. What is Braxton Burmeister? What what is is this your guy? Is this your guy? And you might find that out in three weeks in this bowl game when Justin Herbert doesn't play. Well, and you know what? That answer, the the timing of how you answer that question is interesting to me too because uh, if he's not your guy, which I think he's not, I just he has not proved at any point that he is worthy of being a starting quarterback at the Division One level. Even the game that he won as a starter last year when they beat Utah by three scores at home, he had 47 passing yards. 47 passing yards. And Oregon ran for 250 yards in that game to beat Utah at Autzen Stadium. No, I think the answer is is clear. I think he's been given enough of a chance to prove himself, and he just hasn't. And also, he's been hurt for a lot of this year, too. Like, he, he wasn't even available in practice for half the year. Tyler Shuck is the guy that they've got their eyes on, and they want to groom him. And, and bring him forward. I'm sure James can probably speak to that. And you can still redshirt him. More. He's only played in two. They put him in the game here, which yep. is interesting. Why put him in there? But you can right play up to four. four. Right? I understand that. But why? Yeah. I, I was kind of curious right before the half there. Why'd you put Tyler Shuck in and not Braxton Burmeister just to run the clock out or to take a knee? Uh, but that's true. You put him in it. So that there's there. You burn the game, but still you can play in the bowl game. That will only be four. He will so play. He's okay. And, but, he see, still- I think wouldn't that factor into Mario Cristobal's quarterback decision for that bowl game, knowing that Shuck can still redshirt and play the entire game? To me, that's mm. as ideal a scenario as you can get, right? You, you bring up a really good point there. You didn't even think about that, that if Justin decides to go pro and forego his final game as a duck and or- Braxton Burmeister is not your guy and you want to give Tyler Shuck all the – reps leading up to it because he's a very guy for next year you burn it you, there goes his red shirt and here we go i think that's what i would do okay i think that's the i mean we'll ask james about it too and he'll join us coming up soon from Reeser stadium but i think that'd be the game plan i mean you need to just get more of a sample size on shuck he was the heralded recruit burmeister was as well he's been disappointing and whether or not herbert goes to the nfl maybe he just doesn't want to risk re-aggravation of the injury regardless of his nfl decision and doesn't want to play in that game, and you would have to understand and respect that as well. But what's your thoughts on the Oregon quarterback position moving forward given this Herbert injury? You can call in at 503-417-7575, tweet at 1029thegame, and chime in on our Facebook page as well. Still got more to go on the Oregon College Football Postgame Show, taking you up to 6.30 and 10 minutes away from the Apple Cup kickoff. Wazoo and UW will break that game down more coming up 
on the other side of this timeout. We're broadcasting live from the Fields Bar and Grill here in Northwest Portland. Come down, say hi, and just hang out, have a good time. A lot of good food here, too. It's a great place. It really is. Love it's this. got great atmosphere right on the corner. Boom. Great location. TV sets are everywhere. Nice, comfortable. McKenzie's like taking a nap yeah. on one of the couches here. It's got this huge... This is like the couch we have at our house, man. You can, you can have like five people taking naps. Yeah, at the same she time. was she was taking up like two of those cushions, and uh, she was basically falling asleep. You see, that, you see that double cheeseburger she ate though earlier? That was an intense cheeseburger. Yeah, that was good. And then I went with the uh, nacho dip today. Yeah, I gained three pounds just watching you eat it. You're yeah, you're welcome I for that. He had some starch in that. Thing, yeah, man. that's right. No food is good here. Great atmosphere down right. here. Fields Bar and Grill. I'm getting hungry. Let's go order some more during the break. It's like they got a tab or something. Morris coming up on 102.9750 the game. Coming up in about four minutes, we'll go live to Reeser Stadium and talk to James Crepia of the Oregonian in Oregon Live. Get his reaction and instant analysis to this one. A 55-15 Oregon Duck victory in the Civil War. And coming up in moments, it will be the beginning of one of the most anticipated Apple Cups in the history of that rivalry, the Apple Cup as a term itself has only been around since the 1960s, but this will be the 111th all-time meeting between Washington and Washington State. If you want to chime in on the Oregon game, you can at 1029 The Game and on the Facebook page as well, reading your comments throughout the post-game show. Again, we'll get James Crepia on in a moment, but Neil, in the meantime, let's talk about this Apple Cup that's about to kick off here in a few minutes. Gardner Minshew against Jake Browning, a couple of highly heralded quarterbacks. Browning for his longevity and his consistency, but maybe not for his overall potential or talent ceiling. Whereas Gardner Minshew has come on like a man on fire again in his only season at Washington State as a grad transfer and taken Wazoo all the way to a number eight ranking in the playoff rankings and number seven in the AP and coaches poll. The big question is, is Gardner Minshew the real deal, or is he just another name in a long list of Washington State quarterbacks that have racked up stats but have not been able to beat the dogs? What do you think? Well, I mean, he, he has been the real deal for eight, nine weeks. I mean, he's leading the Pac-12 in all pass in all categories, but that's, again, the system. Um, and I, I think he is that type of quarterback that uh, coaches need when you're going to throw the ball that many times. I mean, if you're – if you're that philosophy like Mouse Davis, you got to find that guy. you got to find that quarterback, understands, coverages, understands. Again, you got to give Garden a lot of credit. He got here, what, in, in like May? Very late. I mean, you got here in May. Yep. So, you know, Coach Leach, Mike Leach only had him for four or five months. to get him ready, and it's been incredible what he's done. But the term Kuganet has been around not maybe as long as the Apple Cup, but what would you say? <laughs> 10 years, oh, 12 years? 10, 15 years, Love no these question. Bowl games, yep. These bowl games they play, and you're going, are you kidding? That just happened, you know, kind of thing. So all you Kook fans out there, this is your chance. And they could have planned it any better than this. Black Friday, prime time, top 25 teams in Pullman. I just hope it snows. And I think, you know, the, the way I, I was I, saying I, what's precipitation. The what's the over-under on snow? Uh, I got to give it third quarter, <laughs> you know. By the third quarter, I'll take the under. Hopefully it snows early and often. They just put up 69 points last week on Arizona and did not move up the college football playoff rankings. There's still a two-loss LSU team in front of them. There's still a one-loss Oklahoma team in front of them. What do you think about that? So we'll think more about that tomorrow if they beat Washington. So if they don't and they kind of cook it and Chris Peterson's Huskies go in there and win this game, then they deserve to be eight or nine or bumped out of the top ten. And LSU, an SEC school, let's just put it this way, the favoritism across the nation – if you're not playing in the SEC, 
you're not playing in those big power, those conferences, the, in, if you're in the Ohio, Ohio State's, Notre Dame's, Michigan's, strength of schedule. It goes back to strength of schedule. Give credit to Washington because who'd they play in opening game this year? They Auburn. Played Auburn. Auburn. Neutral side, but still Auburn. Close game, but they lost. That hurt their chances, number one. So this is the redemption game. This is to make all those seniors going out for the Huskies feel so good about being at Washington if they get a victory here at Pullman. And for UW, you think about their season. It started with that loss to Auburn. Then they lost to Oregon, a game they should have won. Yep. If Peyton, uh, you know, puts in that 37-yard field goal with his left foot, he can't do it. Ducks win that one in the overtime. And then UW has a – they stub their toe again down at Cal, a game that uh, they should have played a lot better than what they did. But credit Cal's defense in that one. You're talking about a three-loss UW team. If they get four losses in one season, mm. that stands out for a Chris Peterson coach team. Keep in mind, Pete has beaten Mike Leach five times in a row. Do you think that's – I mean, that's got to give him some psychological edge. Absolutely. He'll, he'll pass that on to his players as well. But you don't need to have any more edge in these rivalry games, and that's what was kind of disappointing – watching today's contest is uh, I mean, ever says you know the beavers don't quit they don't they always go down fighting i didn't see much of that i mean oregon just dominated offensive line defensive line way and and the huskies and uh cougars they'll go at it and it means so much now that these two teams top 25 teams the matchup is incredible and chris peterson coaching wise you can't do any better than that and the rumors going around i heard rumors today and I, a couple of my friends from los angeles you think if clay helton goes chris peterson will go coach usc and to me that's not even a lateral move i mean he's got he's, he's family based loyal i don't think that will happen but man i'll tell you what the guy has proven to be a pretty damn good coach that he has and uh, he certainly seems like one of the top coaches in the conference if not the country all right moving back to this civil war the 122nd edition oregon wins 55 to 15. let's go back live down to reaser stadium where we are joined by james crapia of the oregonian and oregon live james 55 to 15 and wouldn't you know it if you would have said that justin herbert exits after one half that dylan mitchell has only one catch for nine yards in this game but oregon actually increases their uh, their victory margin from halftime to the end of this football game I think me and Neil would have both said that that's going to be uh, pretty hard to do, and yet that's exactly what happened in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for all the reasons that you laid out, it really should have been an offensive struggle for Oregon. Yet at the same time, uh, I think anybody, let's put it this way, anybody who's seen the Oregon State defense most of the season uh, knew that they were not particularly good against the run uh, after watching the Oregon offense face them in what was their, you know, so obviously, it's the last game of their season, one that they should you know, pour a lot of uh, effort and energy into. Uh, I have a hard time understanding how this Oregon State team beat anybody this year in the FBS. And the fact that uh, they beat Colorado, a credit to Oregon State for that. But you know what? Mike McIntyre should have been fired for that performance because if this is the team that's been out there all season, and I have not watched them all season, I have, I have not. But if this is the kind of effort and display that Oregon State was putting on on a weekly basis, I can't believe McIntyre survived that weekend because Oregon absolutely manhandled that team on the road with with the adverse conditions, without their quarterback for the second half, without their best wide receiver for three out of four quarters, although one by uh, two by choice, one by uh, uh, suspension. I mean, you got to be kidding. And you knew that the run was coming, and in certain cases the exact same play was coming, and they could do nothing to stop it. Yeah, James, it's interesting. I, I'm going back to what you, did, you and I were talking about earlier about 
the defense of Oregon. Let's flip it over. And, and you made a comment about Oregon's red zone defense. I made a note down as I was watching the first half, early second. That just added to the issues that you're talking about with Oregon State. I mean, there are Oregon bends. Oregon doesn't care about first downs. They care about protecting that goal line. And nothing was better than the truth. And you brought that up. And I mean, and I watched that first time. That's exactly what happened. That really turned that game around on that when Jack Coletto went in there to do the Tim Tebow. And Dye has a 45-inch vertical and tips the ball for that pick. That was a huge momentum change. Yeah. And you know what? Look, I, I can applaud Oregon State my, mindset-wise, the coaching staff, for being willing to take risks this whole season, and including in, in today. But, you know, sometimes you overthink it and sometimes you get too cute for your own good. That was not fourth and goal. You didn't have to draw up something so mysterious. You're trying to get competitive in a rivalry game. What are you doing throwing a jump pass there with a backup quarterback? What, what are you doing? Don't I mean, that's overthinking. Just pound it up the middle and give yourself a chance. And if you get stopped, do it again. <laughs> and you're trying to stay in the game at that point. At that, after that happens, absolutely, that was a... Early turning point, frankly, I mean, obviously there's no turning point thereafter. At that point, it's, it's off to the races. But you're trying to score against a team who has not been allowing very many touchdowns in the red zone. You're at the two or the three. You've got to just plow ahead. You've got one of the best backs in the league. Just give them the ball. Don't overthink it. That was overthinking it. That was yeah. getting too cute. And that cost them. And that's where Oregon's defense, look, they still have to come through with a play, and they think it makes an interception in the end zone. Yeah, James, and just the fact that, you know, what what more can you tell us on Justin Herbert, honestly, from a status standpoint? I know they're not revealing any details about the nature of his injury, but what did it look like to you? What's kind of the uh, overall consensus on him? Well, uh, no, all we got was from Chris Ball after the game saying that, uh, that very frankly similar for him and for Tony Brooks James, that they took hits uh, and that they won't know definitively until they get back to Eugene. They're not going to run. Uh, medical tests for that, the MRIs, X-rays, etc. They're not going to do those things until they get back. So they may know later tonight. Um, that's probably not going to be publicly known for a little while, <laughs> uh, but they probably uh, later tonight for, for the two of them. Obviously, it looked like Herbert, somewhere in the right shoulder, collarbone area, based off where he grabbed at mm-hmm. uh, following that second sack. Uh, but that's about as far as you can go. I mean, unless you were down the sideline watching it. You know, moment for moment there, the final couple minutes of the first half, it didn't look like that brutal a shot, quite honestly. I thought, frankly, I thought he took more brunt force towards the hips than he did the shoulder. But nevertheless, it was a group tackle, uh, and he did go down. So, yeah, it looked like in the right, like I say, right shoulder collarbone area as a whole. Brooks James obviously looked like to the left knee. Uh, that's that's where he got drilled on the, uh, on the kickoff and didn't return. He was on crutches. They really did not detail on either one of them. Uh, the severity, and like I say, I think it's truly, I don't think they know yet until they get back, but they believe, it looked like they sounded at least a little bit more optimistic with Herbert. So, James, I'm assuming you've never been hit by a six foot four, 245-pound guy coming up the middle. Is that is that what kind of understand what he, he, you're saying? It doesn't look like he got hit very hard until <laughs> you, you're there, man. Sometimes the worst hits the ones you don't see. He got, he got popped pretty good there, but that was only one blemish. Here, here's some names. James, I'm going to throw out you that Mario Cristobal has just got to be a stag about. I mean, Calvin Throckmorton, Shane Lemieux, Jake Hansen, Dallas Wormack, Bray Allen, those, those guys up front, when they knew, Oregon State knew they are going to the ball, and those boys up front absolutely performed. 
Yeah, and you can throw Jacob Capra in that mix because Capra came in at the end of the first half, I believe, and played the entire second half. Uh, so he absolutely did. You know, he deserves some credit as well. Now, that whole group, again, when you are able as an offensive line, as an offense as a whole, but particularly the offensive line, to know that you're running some variation of basically the same play. There might be some very minor tweaks, but in the grand scheme of things, basically the same play. Over and over and over again, and particularly starting the second half, and you don't have your quarterback, and you go out there and just run it right down their throat doing that, that's about as satisfying as it gets for an offensive lineman. And no, all, all the credit goes to Oregon's offensive line in this game. Because you're right, other than that, uh, look, he gets sacked a couple of times, but the second one is the one that you know, he gets hurt on, yes. But I, and I'm not saying that it wasn't a significant hit. What I'm saying is that I thought the initial impact was to the hits. <laughs> right, I thought, right. No, I, mean... <laughs> I thought that might be where the injury might have been, but, it, but instead he took it to the shoulder. Uh, and I think that was just because of going to the ground the way he did. Do that as an all night. No, again, the offensive line deserves all the credit in the world. I mean, you put up nearly 400 yards rushing uh, against a team, no matter how bad Oregon State is, and they are in a massive rebuild, and they are woeful right now. But you put up nearly 400 yards in one of your better performances in over three years. Yeah, all, all the credit goes to that offensive line. Yeah. You know, I uh, kind of mentioned that Travis Dye was my pick-to-click, if you will, going before the game, and he ended up finishing with a buck 97. C.J. Verdell, though, is the headliner, scoring five total touchdowns, the most by an Oregon Duck player since 2012 down at USC. You know, James, we talk a lot about uh, how the direction of the offense is – Worth questioning, given the caliber of quarterback they seem to have. But you know what? When you put a performance, I don't care who you're playing, when you put a rushing performance like this one tonight, knowing that Justin Herbert's not going to be around forever, if I'm a Duck fan, I've got to look at that philosophy and that level of execution, look at my two freshman running backs, and think that the offense might be in a really good place moving forward because Justin Herbert might have just played his last game in an Oregon uniform. What are your thoughts on the Oregon offense considering their rushing output today and what it means moving forward? Well, again, I look, as you guys know, I've, I've been uh, a firm understanding of what the philosophy is and what is trying to be brought to the table here offensively. Uh, so I, I understand it entirely. Uh, the fact that it happens to have a banner day, well, sure, that, that, that solidifies and, and can legitimize some things for some fans, but to me, this is uh, something that was already understood. Now, to your point that, hey, whether Justin Herbert has played one of his last games, whether he plays a bowl game or not, or players in the draft or not, if he did, you have to consider the possibility, because look, even if he did, fine, he comes back next year, you know he only got one more year, and you've got a redshirt freshman and a, uh, a true freshman running back, you're building around for the future thereafter. Uh, who would be going into their junior years when Herbert would be gone one way or the other. Well, yeah, you got to feel pretty good about that. Uh, <laughs> you have to feel real good about that. But you can, knowing that you have Dylan Mitchell probably coming back next year, uh, probably, that's, hey, if he comes back along with Justin Herbert, then you've got a very potent passing attack possible with that much more experience. And if you're able to add any pieces to that and complement it with this running game and an offensive line that has pretty much everybody coming back and a healthy Tanae Sewell and a healthy Stephen Jones on that matter to compete on the other side. Got to feel pretty good. Got to feel pretty good. And then, like I say, you want to extrapolate and go out further and say whether Herbert leaves in a month or Herbert leaves in a year, yeah, you're going to have Travis Dye and you're going to have C.J. Burdell in 2020. 
can lead that rushing attack, whether they happen to have to lead the entire offense in 2019. Well, you know, we can debate that for the next two months. But in 2020, you know, for sure, you've got two front backs who are going to be entering their two seasons. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now you're going to have to rebuild the old line and find a quarterback between now and then. But, yeah, you've got two really potent running backs here to uh, the tag team for a while. Moving forward, you know, if you were to prognosticate the probabilities of bowl game X against bowl game Y, you know, what, what does it look like? I know a lot of it depends on how far Wazoo goes with the New York New Year six possibility and what have you. But, you know, what are your top three bowl scenarios for the Oregon Ducks now with eight wins on the season? Now, bear in mind here that I'm learning some of the Pac-12 uh, uh, bowl right. selection processes that are a little <laughs> different than what I was accustomed to. Uh, so between the tie-ins themselves and the process for being selected. So I'd say the most likely on paper would appear to be the Holiday Bowl, the most likely, regardless of what happens in the Apple Cup here now and, and then the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, I, I believe that that is the most likely. Because quite frankly, even if Wazoo were to lose today or in the Pac-12 championship game to Utah, they might be a New Year's Six pick regardless. Well, but if they... Then, right, right. Oh, you're saying if, if they lose either today or next week. Correct. Okay, gotcha. That they, right. could, they, that they could end up in, like, the fiesta, and then if they were to lose today, that it would be washed, the winner of Washington, Utah, in the Rose, uh, and then if they were to win today, they'll lose in the Pac-12 championship game, if they could still end up in the fiesta, and then Utah ends up in the Rose. Um, so there's still ways by which the Pac-12 can end up with two teams in the New Year's Six, Almost regardless, but that's a little bit, a little bit out there. You know, there's still things to be to be played out between Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and the Big 12 championship game. All these other things. Um, and that's why I say the Holiday Bowl is probably the most realistic because I, I just think there may be a little bit too much needed uh, for Oregon to move up to the Alamo. Uh, though I think it's technically possible, it's probably the second or third most likely. Most likely to me appears to be the holiday. If it's well, not thank, there, it, it, it's not the homo. Yeah, then, James, thank God for Oregon fans. Sorry to cut you out. They don't want to go to Vegas. They don't want to go, what, the Cheez-It Bowl now? Am I, is there, seriously. Yeah. There's, That's there's down new in one? your okay. neck of the woods in Phoenix now. There's yeah. a Cheez-It Bowl coming yeah. up for number seven, James. So, oh, boy, I'd love for, for you to get that assignment for that one. Be, <laughs> you know, all, all kinds of snacks for the game. Hey, I, I'm, my only word for this game was, it was crystal balled. I mean, the Beavers just got crystal ball. He must have been beaming. This is what he's been talking about. You've been talking about it. This is his stamp. This is what he wants to do. And he had to show. And rivalry game, I know, Oregon State sucks. They're bad. We talked about in the pregame with you. They're terrible rushing defense. Their defense last in the league. I told you they're going to score 40 points. I was wrong. It was 55 instead of 40. <laughs> so, but Mario Cristobal must have been just ecstatic. What, what, what was his feeling in, in the press? Oh, yeah, no, he was. He was. I mean, again, let's put the injuries aside because obviously that's significant. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to downplay that. But aside from those rather significant situations, yes, of course, philosophically, when you get a, a level of uh, redemption and validation at that level, uh, in particular in a place where, look, two years ago, it was brought up, okay, Cristobal wasn't here two years ago, but, you know, two years ago was kind of the rock bottom point uh, for this program. Uh, amid everything that was going on. It really was. It was a horrific performance here. Uh, and then losing that Civil War game. Well, now, you know, a year later, you turn around, you see some progress, you get a win at home in the Civil 
before. And yes, obviously there was the bowl game. I understand that, but there's some progress. But then there's further changes and there's other things going on. Well, all right, you come back here two years after what was a very low point, and now turned around with back-to-back just maulings in this rivalry, uh, which, let's face it, is probably a long ways away from being competitive uh, at this particular juncture. It's hard to see how Oregon State is going to be real competitive here uh, in this rivalry for a minimum two years. You have to say that Herbert has to be gone and probably the offensive line has to be gone, uh, at the very least, to create some real uncertainty. But this is exactly right. It's exactly what Aaron Cristobal and Marcus Arroyo are trying to do. Yep. And by the way, for as brutal as the Oregon State offense has been at times, and obviously they have a very talented running back, you know, I have not heard or seen quite as much criticism about the Oregon State pistol formation from Oregon <laughs> State <laughs> as I have of Oregon fans who just want to rip to shreds this entire offense in anything about it. So I don't think it's the pistol that's the problem, guys. <laughs> if you want to, again, go back to the losses from weeks ago and go through it again and again and again, throw a blue in the face. This was exactly what they wanted to do. And, yeah, it came against an overmatched opponent. We understand that. But philosophically, you go out there on P and 10 the first three drives, and after that I stopped charting it because, quite frankly, it really got away from them. But on the first three drives, you start off with runs of mm-hmm. 17 yards, 3 yards, 17 yards, mm-hmm. on P and 10 three straight times. Uh, there's no offensive coordinator in the country who would take that. Yep. Nobody. I don't care who you play. Nobody would take that. All right, James, before we let you go, they just kicked off in Pullman. You know, when you're looking from 30,000 feet, who do you like in Wazoo UW? It's hard to not take Wazoo there um, between them being home and obviously how potent that offense is. And the fact that the defense has played well for two years now, played well. Uh, and look, Washington has had some struggles recently offensively. Uh, and, and, uh, and I'm not sure if I, I apologize. I've not been following if Miles Gaskin is available or not in this game or how injured he is or what have you. But bottom line, yeah, if you're asking me who I'm picking the game straight up, yeah, I'm, I'm picking Wazoo. I'm hoping, man, that they can finally do it. Neil? Well, just for the heck of it, because James went for Washington State. I, I'm going for Washington just because oh, he's going on. for Washington State. Come on. You I'm always do this. Do I don't know. I'm going to go with Chris Peterson. I, I think he might play. James, yeah. I, Go ahead. You have to pull for if you, if you have no dog in the fight. And I understand, look, people yeah. out there, you know, rivalries, etc. But if you have no dog in the fight, if for no other reason, then even if there's a 2% chance that Mike Leach can get to the college football playoff, you have to you have to pull for that personality yeah. to be on that stage. <laughs> I totally agree because with that one. I'd love to have that. From Christmas until the 29th, we will be bombarded with all of his musings. And we need more of that in this world. Is all I'm asking. I know I need more. Love it. All right, Get James. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time on the post game. As always, we'll talk to you when the bowl game rolls around, my friend. Sounds good, guys. All right, there he is. Follow him on Twitter at James Crepia of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. You know what, Neil? He brings up a lot of good points, as always, when we uh, when we talk with James. And you each bring a unique perspective uh, to the table of the conversation here. And ultimately, though, I mean book how many takeaways can you have from a 55 to 15 smackdown other than it was domination and there was clarity of purpose there was single-mindedness of focus and there was relentless execution in the trenches and that is mario cristobal football is it not yeah it is and uh, you know you're oregon state fan they're 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 tweeting you here about one word depressed and embarrassed and laughable you know my thing i'm getting sick and tired of kind of hearing it's rebuilding again it's rebuilding again you know, I know Mike Riley left a few years ago, and here comes Gary Anderson, and 
Mike Riley's back on the oh, – he's back with John Smith here. And, you know, Beaver fans, I tell you, you've you got to figure this out. We had two great quarterbacks on here. You can figure it out. It can be done. That, that's the, the light at the end of this dark, dark tunnel here after it's very embarrassing. And it started off even pregame. I'm looking on TV. There's like, what, 20,000 people there? Yeah. And I mean, it's raining. You're going to have Black Friday. And students are the excuse. I'm getting tired of hearing all the excuses. That was a pathetic performance. It was. You couldn't, I mean, seriously. The second Pathetic. half is what I have a problem with. Four turnovers. 21 to three. You're, all your special plays didn't work. You know, it's just you're trying to pull rabbits out of the hat or try to trick them because even you're thinking we're not good enough. That's the message I got, and you certainly weren't. I mean, the two years in a row now, what, 69 to 10? And then 55 to 15. Do the math on that. 124 to 25. Woo! That's bad news, man. That is bad, bad news. All right, we owe you a break. We'll come back. Talk a little bit more about this Apple Cup and get uh, some final takeaways as well. You can chime in at 503-417-7575. One-word summaries of the Civil War. Get a whole lot of them on Twitter and Facebook. We'll read some of those in the next segment as well. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax, live from the Fields Bar and Grill here in the Pearl. Come on down and say hi. Taking you all the way up to 630 before we pass it down to Bobby Bean and Matthew Zimmer. It's the Oregon College Football postgame show. It's all presented by Cooney BMW on 102.9-750 The Game. Well, it's early in the Apple Cup in Pullman. No score between Washington and Washington State. And as Washington is driving for the first score of the game, the Huskies cooked it, if you will. <laughs> Jake Browning just threw an interception into the end zone to Wazoo. So no points on the board for UW. And the road team, instead of going up first in this game, it's the home team making a big defensive play here early in the first quarter. James Crappia joined us earlier. This is Judah Newby and Neil Lomax on the Oregon College Football Postgame Show approaching the 6 p.m. hour on a Black Friday, a Civil War Friday. No place I'd rather be than on the air in a bar and grill talking college football on a Civil War day with you, my friend, Neil. But And right before that pass, I'm like, hey, turnovers are the key in this game. You but literally if said If that. you guys, if Washington <laughs> will win this game, they control the ball, manage the ball, and Jake Browning go, come on, you're running it so well, throws a pick in the red zone. And there's that red zone defense again we're talking about. Protect the goal line. That's a key in all college, all pro. If you can protect the goal line, hey, first downs come and go, total yardage will come and go. But if you protect that goal line, whole teams of three points, you're, you are winning it. I, I, I've been dogging Oregon State and to tell them, you know, come on, they look pathetic today. Their defense has been pathetic all year. A couple highlights I want to bring out. Timmy Hernandez, a couple catches he made. That, that catch for a touchdown. Really, all three of their receivers. Uh, Trayvon Bradford, yep. was, was, wasn't he like the leading rusher? He had, he had <laughs> one carry for like 15 yards or something like that. He had a long, well, the longest carry of the game was by, by Trayvon Bradford. And Isaiah Hodgkins, he, he does enough there as well. So those, those three guys, and I think they're all back, right? They should be, yeah, all, all, all of them. All back. All, or Hernandez might be, uh, might be gone. I can't remember, but. He's a senior. People, yeah, but the two touchdown catches that he had today were very just impressive. amazing. Very impressive. And they had some great plays, uh, some special teams there, some tackling a little better. But I just want to bring out Timmy Hernandez. I thought, I thought all three of those receivers did a really good job of spinning, you know, the Ducks secondary around a little bit. You know, a lot of PIs. Um, you go back to play calling. Maybe they should have thrown the ball a little more in certain situations and not try to trick plays. Um, but, again, you're trying to be competitive, you're trying to win. And when you knew it was going to be this, because there's no way at halftime you're still thinking with Justin Herbert going out, they're going to they're gonna put 35 more points on the board. 
and without even throwing a four, well, one forward pass. Really one forward, two or four forward passes. Incredible. It was incredible, and it was a little disheartening knowing that uh, the Beavers couldn't stop it. But, you know, looking forward for the Beavers with that receiving core and keep in mind that Sherwood native David Morris was going to be one of their mm -hmm. defensive stars for most of the year. He ends up getting into this game and making a tackle, but from the preseason up to no mid-November, he wasn't able to play because of a foot injury. If you have that guy for the whole year, you know, you might be talking about staying, at the very least, staying more competitive on the defensive side of the field. So, interested to see how Oregon State evolves defensively under Tim Tibisar because it's hard to make conclusions about this unit one season into the new regime. We, we kind of know what Oregon State will want to look like offensively, but defensively for Oregon State, I mean, there's nowhere to go but up from here. You hope so, and that is recruiting. You, I mean, these guys are the 18, 19, 20-year-old guys that have been recruited by different schools, and you're coming to Corvallis to play football. That's the bottom line. It's a big business, folks. It's a big business. You're in the Pac-12, all these bowl games we're talking about. There's a reason why there's, what, seven? Seven teams? Seven yeah. or eight. Seven teams will go to a bowl game from the Pac-12 this year. And there was a moment where we thought as many as ten could go, but then Colorado fell off the face right. of the earth. USC is not going to go to a bowl game. So I think around seven, seven. maybe eight, but probably seven. And last year there were nine, we had nine? Pac yeah, I think there nine, were nine, nine. Yeah, and they went one so, and eight in bowl games. Right. This is big business. So you get bring these guys on campus to play football. Yes, they're student-athletes. But the athlete part is big business, and these coaches get paid way too much money. They work way too hard, too. Believe me, they work. They earn it. Man, you got to get better players. Get better players perform. And Oregon State's been struggling. And when you, you lose cross, this cross-state rivalry like this the last 11 years now, you've won t Oregon's won 10 in the last 11? Yep. Oh, it just hurts. What do you think Oregon State's goals should be for next year? Obviously, the recruiting, but it's hard to um, – measure how that progress is going in one season if you were to say hey we had two wins this year one was against southern utah yeah. one was a massive comeback against colorado what kind of goals should jonathan smith be setting that are tangible that are clear for next season yeah the non-fbs games the non-power five games don't count i mean put portland state on your schedule play play southern utah give those give those schools a game check i totally understand that look look what oregon did the first three games it was preseason. I mean, Bowling Green's going to be one of the worst teams in the nation right now. I've been following them a little bit. They're, they're bad. Southern Utah, you know, Portland State struggled as well. And Pac-12 is your goal. So three. Three wins in a Pac-12. You've got to win three. This, this Jonathan Smith, that will be the successful next step. You win three games in Pac-12. If I was to add a sub-goal to that, Get two of those wins at home. <laughs> yeah. Perform better at home. Well, they got to they got to win on the road. So they broke that streak. They did. Because that was going a long, long time. We found out, you know, again, you look back, oh, well, Colorado sure sucked after that too as well. They did. But still, that wasn't the point. They were playing pretty good football at that point, and Orange State won the game, came back in the second half, had to throw the football to do it. And I don't know if that's their footprint up, but, again, you had this Jamar Jefferson all-world freshman coming in, and Oregon's defense absolutely stuffed him. You know, give credit to Justin Hollins, Jordan Scott, uh, Lamar Winston Jr. A lot of, even the corners made a lot of tackles. Lenore made a, like seven tackles. The corners were making a bunch of tackles. Oh, and that's, that's how you know you got good run defense, they're, right? They're blitzing. That means they were coming in and seeing it and blitzing and making that secondary tackle, which I mean by that, four or five yards downfield, your corners and safeties then come in because there was a big play. Jamar Jefferson's longest run, I think, it was 16 yards. That was No, 12. 12 was his longest run. Like you said, average three yards. 
a carry in this game, and he was averaging six. Huge credit to Oregon's defensive front, and that's Jim Levitt. That is Jim Levitt. Give you Jim know Levitt. what? Got him ready. We were, we were, you know, taking him to task after the Utah game when Armand Shine went 24 for a buck 74. The Shelly Shine game. The Shelly Shine game. And you know what? There's a chance that Shelly Shine combo could be your Rose Bowl team in Utah. If wow. you think If Wazoo loses to UW and Utah beats, you know, UW or Wazoo, whoever makes it to the Pac-12 title game next Friday in San Francisco, that Utah is a good chance, man. They are physical. They play you hard. I, I want to see how they do against their rival BYU in a game that really doesn't matter for them in terms of the standings. But that could be, you know, your South representation and ultimately your Pac-12 champion in the Rose Bowl game. That Utah team could actually, with those two guys returning, they're going to always be tough, and Shelley's a lot better than we thought. He certainly is, and the running back, you know, Zach Moss, when he got hurt as well. I mean, you look at the Pac-12 and the running running games and the running backs out of this this conference. Five out of the top ten are from the Pac-12. Uh, Eno Benjamin was leading the league uh, with Jamar Jefferson, but now you just had, you throw C.J. in there today, and you called it. Travis Dye came up, played really hard, and I could not believe. I know you, you must have had a little inside scoop or something for practice that yeah, week. Yeah. How did you know he was going to bust for? We hung out on Thanksgiving. Yeah, right? I'm sure that's what it was something. yesterday. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, good call on your part. But this is a running first, play defense, second conference in Utah as you mentioned does it better than anybody else we're going to run that ball hard and play defense second and you do that you're going to win a lot of games and that's what they're doing and that's what Mario Cristobal wants to do that's why he kept Jim Levitt that's why he's getting 1.7 you know we want to play defense second but we're going to run the ball downhill and run it at your butt and keep doing it doing it and be successful at that and they and they put double nickel on the beefs today a double nickel indeed turns out the quarterback position in the Oregon offense, the quarterback passer, I should say, is like the third most important part of the offense. He might be your most talented player, but from a position standpoint, he's third most important. Think of all those Alabama quarterbacks that Saban had. Coker, you know, McCarron, um, any number of guys that were only serviceable in the league. Even Jalen Hurts. They were never the best player on their offense. It was the offensive line and the running backs. That's what Cristobal's trying to instill here. It's just and and depth and, and depth. depth. That's what Alabama. All of those so you positions. You saw the two running backs right. today. We don't have one head. It's two of them. And there's going to be more so, filtering in the system. It yep. just it looks odd when you know your most talented player is playing a position that's third or fourth most important on the offense, and that position is quarterback. But, but you do there's know, more to flesh out there, right? There there is. But you know why we all fell in love with Justin Herbert? What he's done in the past, his body of work his physical ability, and then all of a sudden the NFL starts calling. We jumped on that bandwagon. You got Dylan Mitchell. But we, we kind of revert. We want to revert back to the Chip Kelly days right. of, wow, spread you out. But what did, he, what did he do better than anybody else when he spread you out? He ran, he ran it. Ran it. Ran it right at but you. they had a hell of a time throwing the, the rock around too, didn't they? They certainly did. All right, we owe you a break. We'll go back, and uh, Matthew Zimmer will get you caught up on some other action. Go around the rest of the top 25 because I hear that there's a big game in Morgantown tonight. And there's not going to be... It was 14-14 last I checked. Is that right? Yeah. All right, Zimmer will get us caught up uh, with the absolute latest on that. You can call in as well at 503-417-7575. Facebook's blowing up with your uh, one-word descriptions of this game. Brian chimes in and says, slaughter. <laughs> Mike says, ouch. Rico Berto says, embarrassing. And he's a Beaver fan. We'll get more of those descriptions coming up. It's more of the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. Jake, it's be Neil Lomax on 102.9 750 The Game. 
Welcome back. Taking you all the way up to 6.30 on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show, live from the Fields Bar and Grill here in the Pearl District. Judah Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer Neil Lomax, longtime NFL veteran, breaking down this Civil War and what it means for Oregon and Oregon State moving forward. We're also keeping our eye on the Apple Cup, what's going down in the 111th edition of the Washington-Washington State rivalry. And we've already seen two red zone turnovers, one for each team in the first quarter alone. And I tell you what, Neil, it looks like the snow is starting to make its way down in Pullman. And I don't know if it's snow or if it's just flurries or if it's just slush, but it's all ugly. The yeah. offense is ugly. The red zones are ugly. The weather is ugly in yeah, Pullman. The game is sloppy. Two turnovers, as you mentioned. I, and I just talked about that before we, we went, went on with the games. Of the, when, if it gets like that and the, it snows, the weather – that's so much worse than what we saw at Corvallis. I mean, Corvallis was the sun came out, it was yeah. rainbow, it's beautiful. Chamber of Commerce Day. Yeah, there was some <laughs> there was some sheets of rain that came down once in a while. But that's come on, it's November, it's in Oregon, and I just want to correct. So this civil war, civil war, a war usually means a battle. It usually means competitive. That's that's. So we're not they're not going to change this name of this game. Ouch, that's tough. I mean, there's a lot of history here, but the last ten. I mean, I'm not just I'm just throwing this out. So you got the Territorial Cup is the Arizona schools. That sounds nice so and not, tame. It's not the Grand Canyon battling like that. So Stanford, Cal, the game. The game. Apple Cup. USC, UCLA. Battle for L.A. Is that what it is? It's I don't Battle know. Battle of L.A. or whatever. Something like that. So there's nothing really good there. Yeah. But this game has been playing, like you said, since 19, 1894. Correct. Long time, a lot of history. But lately, this has not been a war. This has been getting nuked. You're just getting the drones are coming in and just bam, last two years. I'm just, last 10, 11 years. I'm just calling it like it is. It's, I you mean, are. my God, this is not a war. It's not a war. You got to wave that white flag, and it was brutal. So I know all the Oregon State Beaver fans. What should they rename little, it? They're throwing their one uh, recruiting. Battle. <laughs> can we get recruits? What? How many recruits can we get on each sideline? Just get the recruits for next year. Recruiting battle game. I don't the know. recruiting game. Well, it certainly isn't a war. You're right. 124 to 25 is the combined score of the last two years. Ooh. 69 to 10, and now 55 to 15. And to think that most of it came with Braxton Burmeister at quarterback and Oregon running the same rushing plays on offense over and over and over again, it really broke the spirit and broke the will of a two-win Oregon State team that was just trying to get to the locker room and ended season as fast as possible disappointing there but you know what if Oregon State can add a couple or three players on defense that's where it starts for me on the D-line at the linebacker level as for Oregon and we started getting to this a little bit but we know a couple three but I'm telling for next year for next year that's a starting five or six can you go from the 129th worst or best defense can you get from that to 100 can you jump 29 or can you get to the 90 to be and enough to win at least three games from, in the Pac-12. Exactly. That, that, I, I, okay, I think you're I right you. about that. that. I think you're right. That would be a good goal. And yeah, if, if a healthy David Morris, uh, what a stud he was at Sherwood, by the way, folks who follow, who follow high school football. i got to throw this out there. Congratulations, Lake Oswego High School. They went today. Steve Corey and his Lakers beat Jesuit in one of the semifinal games, and Clackamas and Sheldon are playing right now to see who goes to the state trial. So congratulations, Steve Corey and those Lake Oswego Lakers. And – a lot of those kids go to Oregon State. Steve Corey played at Oregon State. He played there. Great wide receiver from Lake Ridge High School. He played there. He's a loyal beaver. A lot of, lot of ex-duck, ex-beavers on that staff. 
that's the battle. That's the fun part for me to see going to different high schools is the loyalty there that these Beavers have. It's true. I mean, I'm giving them a lot of bad time here to play, but they're talking to Derek Anderson, talking to Sean Mannion. The loyalty's there, and that's why you got to get those certain kids. So, but David Morris was healthy. Maybe that changed him a little bit. But you need more than David Morris, Judah. You need four or five more guys stepping it up and defensive line guys. And they recruit. Like I said, they got 12 players from Hawaii. Can they play? I don't know. But you got to figure out a way to do it because if you can't stop the run in anywhere, you're having a long season. Well, not only are you going to have a long season, but you are considering the direction that Oregon wants to take offensively. You're going to be on the losing end of the Civil War next year, the year after that, the year after that. If you can't find a way to stop the run, because guess what your in-state rival is going to do? They want to be the best rushing team in the conference again, like they used to be under Chip, except this time they want to do it between the tackles smash mouth. We saw that executed to the nth degree today, and we know Justin Herbert won't be in an Oregon uniform forever. No. We might have just seen him in an Oregon uniform for the last time. Maybe. There is a chance that he just suited up his last game for the Oregon Ducks. We don't know. So given that fact, and given that you can't predict that another Justin Herbert will walk right through the door. Who knows how good Tyler Shuck will be. If you're talking about sustainability and consistency, a ground game, an excellent ground game, and a good defense might be the best recipe for long-term success in this conference in the country. Heck, Alabama's been doing it. They've been consistently excellent year in and year out, and now they've gone to superior because they've added a playmaker at the quarterback position. But first, it's got to start with that execution in the ground game. And if they can keep doing that, they're going to keep beating the Beavers. Well, and, and the, the coin was flipped the other way two years ago when Oregon got Ryan Nald and same type of weather. But defensively, Oregon State was much better football team. And I don't know if that's Gary Anderson, the, guy, the guys he got from Riley uh, back in the day when that they just still a couple of those kids there before Mike Riley went to Nebraska. And... But that's, that's what happens in all these programs. All these programs have your two or three years. That's why coaches come and go. McIntyre got file, f- fired at Colorado. Clay Helton might get fired at – coaches will get fired and hired. That's the nature of this business. But, man, you got to get that key kid in here and a lot of key kids because, man, you get 65, 85 scholarships, you got to find some players that can play. That's on the coaches. Well, he's going to have to do it and try to do it soon. The good news is that he doesn't have to play another game until September of uh, 2019, which – We'll be here before you know it. But well, if I'm Oregon State, though, I'd like to play another game. I mean, you don't want to go out that way. I mean, you, you do not want to go out embarrassed like that, depressed. All, all the Oregon State fans, I, I want to chime in because I've been hearing for weeks all these Oregon State procrastinators, you know, Mike Parkers and my buddy, you know, uh, Jim Wilson at Fort Vancouver. Oh, but they keep fighting. They keep fighting. They never give, never give up. I don't know what I saw today. I don't know that they mean giving up. But you, you give up that many yards to two running backs and you know you know going the whole second half, they're not going to throw the football. They're not going to throw the football. And they still put 35, 36 points on you in the second half? That's just downright embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Facebook comments, Paul says dominant. Steve says chip. <laughs> is this one-word description? Well, I didn't see chip today, but I think I know what you mean, Steve. Mike says that's predictable. Yeah, Got to agree with that as well. We're getting more on the uh, – the uh, tweet machine as well. Someone just commented with a picture of an Oregon State baseball national champions hat. That's one way to go about it, but if you're taking solace in your baseball program, that tells me all I need to know about how the football game went for you today. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back. And actually, before we get to uh, the break, let's go out to the phone lines at 503-417-7575. And Pat is out in Milwaukee. What's up, Pat? 
Hey, you guys. I got a couple comments. See what you guys think about this. Number one, Oregon State's awful, and they're terrible, and I, I just can't believe how bad they are. Uh, number two, Oregon uh, has got a serious problem. I mean, a serious problem at quarterback, and I really think they're going to go the graduate transfer route or the or the uh, junior college, uh, you know, route to get a guy in there because I just can't believe they put uh, Burmeister in there, and he's not even close to being a Pac-12 quality quarterback. And this guy behind him, I don't know what he can do. They didn't even put him in the game. So I, I got to think they're, they're, they're going to go that route, just kind of like what Washington State did last year and what they've done before with Adams and some other, you know, pro cop and some other people. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the phone call, Pat. And, Neil, we'll, we'll get your thoughts too. The difference between that, besides the fact that it was a different coach at Oregon, right, and when he, when Mark Helfrich brought in pro cop and he brought in Adams, um, it was still criticized because it was going against the grain of the in-house development of the quarterbacks being recruited and being developed up the chain as Marcus Mariota was as a three-star out of St. Louis. But, you know, for this Oregon program, I think Pat's call is a reason why Tyler Shuck needs to play the bowl game because I think they're, I mean, not that you're making decisions as a coach because of what the fans think. You're certainly not. Yeah. But I think as a fan, wouldn't it be a little nice to see Tyler Shuck on a significant stage playing 60 minutes of meaningful football? Well, then to me, Tyler Shuck should have stayed in and played that second half if he's tr- truly their right. guy. Right. You know, Pat brings up a good point. If it's not Braxton Burmeister and it's not Tyler Shuck, are they going to redshirt him and go like like the, the, the Juco way or a JC transfer or a grad transfer again? Um, the good news is we're not making that decision. That's Mario Cristobal and what he saw today, though, uh, three-fourths of his decision is going to be based on what he wants to do. What they want to do is run the football now. He wants a game manager. I don't think he needs that pro-style Marcus Mariota, Justin Herbert, Chip Kelly kind of quarterback anymore. I don't think so. You, see, that's not his footprint, and that's not his philosophy, but you've got to build it around a quarterback. So Oregon Duck fans, you're probably sitting there going, yeah, what's going to happen? And it, it will be interesting. That will be one of the main topics in the next two or three weeks. And I'm, I'm telling you, folks, I'm tired of going to Oregon Live, and all I see is all the recruits, all these Oregon guys, all are coming in, flashy jerseys. He's a four-star from here. Three. Where are those guys then, right? Where are they then? So go get a quarterback. If you can bring in all these recruits, bring them in and see if they can play because so far you haven't been doing it. You know what? One of my takeaways now is with the direction that I see this offense taking, a running back at Oregon is going to be the next Heisman winner, not a quarterback. I don't think a quarterback will win the Heisman Trophy again at University of Oregon if this system stays the way it is because it's not designed to, you know, bring the quarterback into the spotlight. It's designed around the ground game, the trench war. The quarterback is no longer the most important piece on this football team. I think as soon as fans get their heads around that, the easier it will be to buy into this. What do you think about that? I'm precious. I always think the quarterback's the most important I position. I was the, that, you're the wrong I mean, person to try that He's out the best-looking guy. He should be paid <laughs> the most. Oh, okay. Mary's okay. a beautiful wife, the yeah. whole the best kids, yeah, yeah, all that. I was definitely yeah. not a quarterback. You know, I, I think, I think <laughs> you know, no question about running game and defense and all that, but let, let, you, you'd be absolutely an idiot if you're not going to try to build your offense around a really good quarterback. You need the game manager. You need that guy. Well, yeah, but a and good quarterback, a great quarterback, is different from a but, good but game manager. Look know, at the Bama QBs. Right, but you don't know that until they get to their junior, you know, their sophomore, junior year. You just don't know out of high school how good these kids will be. You don't. Look at Jonathan Smith. 
everybody probably told you, there's no way the kid, he's five foot ten. no way he's going to play. That tells you size does not matter. The heart does. The heart, he proved he can play at this level because something's special. There's something different about his heart, something different about his mind. Now, being 6'7", 230, and having all those three-dimensional qualities, it's awesome. Very rare to find those kind of guys. You just don't know until about their junior or sophomore year can they play. Who was the best player on the Oregon State offense when Jonathan Smith was there? Oh, those receivers were pretty damn good. And Steve the running Jack. back. Yeah, I, okay. He was third or fourth best. That's my point. And he's one of the best in program history. And yet he was not the most important piece on the offense. But he was part of that piece. He's he was part, part of, of that it. Beautiful That's a difference, they though. They had for three or four years to go to the Fiesta Bowl and beat Notre Dame. So quarterback is, uh, it always will be the most talked about, most controversial, especially with a guy like Justin Herbert. that had so much upside, so much promise. Those three, three or four or five games, we're falling in love with a guy, and all of a sudden they kind of changed a little bit. But, hey, bottom line today, congratulations, University of Oregon. You put an absolute smackdown in this very traditional, very loyal on both sides. you got orange and black, yellow and gold and white, and they're loyal fans. We saw them today coming in and out of this, the restaurant. They're 50-50. A lot of families are split. But right now, the last nine or ten years, it's really going the Ducks way. All right, we owe you one more quick break. We'll come back with one final segment, top 25, talk a look at the uh, Apple Cup and possible bowl game scenarios for the Oregon Ducks moving forward. Ducks win 55-15. If you want to get a last thing off your chest, you can at 503-417-7575. Final segment of the Oregon College Football Postgame Show live from the Fields Bar and Grill presented by Cooney BMW. Coming up next on 102.9-750 The Game. They have final segment of the Oregon College Football Postgame Show before we pass it off to Bobby Bean and Matthew Zimmer. They go three hours, and then Peter Sampson will take you from nine all the way until midnight. It's been a long, fun day. Big thanks to everyone here at the Fields Bar and Grill and to our friends uh, Nathan and Ashley from Cooney BMW for all their help today. Judah Newby and Neil Lomax and uh, Mackenzie came out here. Big shout-out, Mackenzie. Thanks, Mackenzie. First remote on your own. Way to go. Getting the thumbs up, right? Yeah. Went okay. That's perfect. Long day, though, right? Yeah, long, yeah, long day. day. She had yeah. that big cheeseburger, though. It's still doing yeah. okay. Oh, yeah, that's good smiling. stuff right there. That's good stuff. They've got good food here, man. I'll come back here. Speaking of good food, there's some there, there's some chewing on going on in the Big 12, and you got <laughs> West Virginia, Oklahoma. I mean, what is it already? 28-21. I, I, no. That's why I love You and I just love college football. We I do. love it, man. We love football, but college football, not just today, but tomorrow, some huge games. Okay. but. Going on right now, I just want to give you an update. It's 28-21, correct? Oklahoma? Six-ranked Oklahoma does lead 13th-ranked West Virginia 28-21, not even at halftime yet. Uh, by the way, the over-under of Oregon, Oregon State, was set at 70, and it finishes at 70. So whether or not you took the over or the under, you pushed there. And no one was – we were all saying there's no way it's going to get to that. Uh, how does – how? remember we were talking about that. Yeah. We, James, you, me, Jordan Kent had it. Oregon, I think he said 32 20, you know, 32, 17, something like that. Everybody was picking Oregon by 14, 17 points, which was a spread, but I did not see anybody putting over 50, 45 points in this game. Okay. The one big game tomorrow I got to get your thoughts on is Michigan, Ohio State. Fourth ranked Michigan, 10th ranked Ohio State. It's your classic 9 a.m. start time oh. in Ohio State at Columbus. Michigan favored on the road. By four and a half points in that Don Brown defense. Yeah. Do they get it done this time around? I mean, it's very similar to the Washington-Washington State dynamic. Wazoo's been the little brother historically and in recent years. So has Michigan. So has Harbaugh to Urban Meyer. 
They're four-and-a-half-point road favorites. Do they get it done, and who are you rooting for in that game? I'm just rooting for a great game. I, I, I don't have a dog in that fight either. You know, I've been a James, I've been a Jim Harbaugh fan because I played with him. He's right. been to my quarterback shootout. I love Urban Meyer. I do. I love what he's done at Florida. There, If the game wasn't at Columbus, this was at Ann Arbor, I'd say Michigan by 20. And now it's at Columbus, a lot closer game. And, I mean, look, look what Ohio State's been struggling. I mean, absolutely, how they beat Maryland. Especially defensively. Oh, my God, a lot of teams. And don't, yeah, don't tell Oregon State about that. Oh, right? Yeah. 77 on Oregon State. Oof. Um, I got to go with Michigan in that game. Okay. I'm going to pick them, and I'm going to ride, ride or die with them. We got South Carolina Clemson. It's not going to be a good one, but it always reminds me of uh, Steve Spurrier. I read his book last year. He had that quote because, of course, he coached at Florida and South Carolina. He's ball coach. He's the old ball, ball coach. coach. He said, he said when he was out South Carolina, he would say, you know, we ain't, we ain't Auburn and we ain't Tennessee, but we sure as hell ain't Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> and that was his go-to quote. I love that. LSU at Texas A&M, seventh-ranked LSU at 22 A&M. A&M favored by three-and-a-half at home in that game. Just something to keep your eye on. What do you think about the USC-Notre Dame rivalry? Uh, one, what does it mean for Notre Dame? If they win, they get to 12-0 and and are in the college football playoff. When they're playoff. in. When if they're USC in. loses, is that it for Clay Hill? And what a great situation for uh, Brian Kelly and, and Notre Dame that you know you don't have to worry about anybody else. You don't have to worry about it. Just get on that plane, go to the Coliseum, take care of business, and you're in. That you, you that's, that's, that's the two-putt from 10 feet to win the pro tournament. That, that's that's in your just in your wheelhouse. you got to love that. And if they do beat USC by 20, 25 points, I think you're, you're, you're going to see Clay Helton getting fired. I really do. That's too bad. Nice guy. Yeah. Well, nice guys. Hey, a lot of nice guys think they can coach, but if your players don't execute and play, this is the nature of the business. Yep. And you're getting paid way too much money. There's way too much money involved. And there's a history there at USC with these ex-players being athletic directors, right? Lynn Swan's there now, correct? He is. So he's getting pressure from the boosters. All right, in the Pac-12, Stanford-UCLA. Stanford, seven-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. And, that, and this game is was postponed, right? Was this game that postponed? No, that's Stanford-Cal. Oh, the Cal game got postponed. And that will be played next week. That was the one. Uh, looking forward to that one because that's the game. That's the game. Remember the memories of that, that band? You, you, everybody remember, anytime you I get, do. Anytime you get Stanford and, and yeah. Cal going at it. The Joe Starkey uh, call is what made me want to be a broadcaster. Yeah. yeah. The band is out on the field. It's going to go to the end zone. So you got Chip Kelly winning this again? You think, you think UCLA with uh, – They're touchdown underdogs. I actually – With Joshua Kelly running that ball really, really well. And he, they beat USC. They're going to do it again? No, David Shaw is going to win this game. Okay, David well. Shaw wins this game for Stanford. But what do you think about – I'm going to go – I'll go UCLA on that. We'll do, we'll do a dollar on that. All right. Sounds okay. good. How about the Territorial Cup, Arizona ASU, Arizona favor, or Arizona State favored by two on the road. And it's down in Tucson. Down in Tucson. Got Arizona State winning this game. Okay. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. Cal will beat Colorado. Props to Cal. Second half of the yeah. season, that defense is legit. Boy, he's come on strong. And they you forget, they put, what, 49 on Oregon State, too? Yeah. They're getting bashed about their offense. And everybody's putting points on Oregon State. But, no, their defense is really good. And – Good for those guys. I mean, there's a lot of Oregon connections on that staff. Um, and Coach Wilcox, good people. They're just good people. That's good what, to see. you got to keep improving in the north yep. because the teams that are even, aren't even are at the top right now are getting better. Okay, Apple Cup update, Judah. The Apple Cup date, if Besides you will. Besides snow, snowing. The Apple Cup it's check, awful. if you allow. Ooh, oh, yeah. Does that work for, uh, you know, alliteration? 16th-ranked Washington, 7 nothing lead on 8th-ranked Washington State. 
Right now, UW has the football on their own 20-yard line. But the headliner here so far, red zone turnover for each team. Touchdown drive for UW. The weather is terrible if you're an air raid offense. How concerned are you for Wazoo's offense in this Very, situation? When you, don't, when you don't score in the first quarter, when, when Washington State can't score any quarter, you're concerned. And now weather-wise, yeah, people say they're from there. They practice indoors, folks. They're not, they have an indoor facility. They're not going outside and practicing in the snow like this. So both these teams aren't used to it. It makes throwing the, the, the rain, water, no issue. No issue. But when it's cold and snowing, and I played in a few of those, especially in the pros, it is not fun at all. Yeah, I, uh, Not if you really want to win them. I mean, you want to do snow angels and have a good time. And which, you don't really don't care. Which you, you, You're like that because you're like the turkey bowl guy. You I go love out there that. Snow. I love that. No, but when you're getting paid a lot of money to go perform and it's freezing snow and the ball comes out like a rock and you get blamed for it all the time, eh, it wasn't fun. I can only imagine. Two games against Philly in the snow wasn't fun. But, hey, at least you torched Herm Edwards a couple times. It wasn't snowing that day, though. It wasn't snowing no. that day, no. Neil, uh, that's going to wrap it up for us on the Oregon College Football Postgame Show, and that wraps it up for us for regular season. Can you believe it? Man, it went fast. I, I cannot believe it, but I'm looking forward to the bowl game. Yep. And we'll talk more Oregon and college football because that's what we do in this college game day. It was a blast being your partner. Dude, it was a good blast time. being yours as well. I'll see you Sunday morning. You got it. <laughs> All right, that wraps it up for us. Thanks, Matthew Zimmer, behind the glass back at our downtown studios. Big shout-out to the Fields Bar and Grill, to everyone who helped put this together, from Mackenzie for her work, work in the remote as well, and for our friends at Cooney BMW who put all this on. This was an exceptional performance by all involved. Passing along back to the studio, Matthew Zimmer, Bobby Bean, bring you the Oregon College Football Wrap-Up Show, and then Peter Sampson takes you all the way up until midnight. Stay locked into 1029thegame.com for the latest on Oregon Ducks bowl game scenarios. This has been the Oregon College Football Postgame Show on 1029 and 750 The Game.